Thanks for joining the Golf Underground. Now, the Golf Underground is made possible by Mariner Wealth, helping you navigate your financial future. Star Companies KC. Experience a more energy-efficient and comfortable home with Star's insulation services. Cowell Insurance, providing brokerage and risk management services for over 25 years. Sano Orthopedics, care plans backed by research and clinical results, tailored perfectly to individuals' needs. By The Flats KC, Kansas City's coolest apartment experience. Check them out at theflatskc.com. Bobsite Ford and Bobsite Independence Kia, where you'll score a double eagle on your next car or truck. Sheridan's Unforked, eating good and feeling good. Lewisburg Ford, nobody sells more F-150s than Lewisburg Ford. And Celebrity Greens, put a custom PGA caliber putting green in your backyard for the ultimate golf experience. Now, on to the program. ESPN Kansas City presents Golf Underground with Kevin Ward and Brian Sullivan. Hey, welcome to Golf Underground ESPN Radio here. We are back in the stable, and um, I got my, my buddy Wardo, freshly married. We got our boy George over there. We're looking, you got your own special camera there, Bingo, George. I need one. I need my own. You know? You got your new stable hat on. Oh, I've had this forever. Have I you? wore the old one. I wore the old one today. What? And Kevin said, no, you can't wear that. You know, it's all sweaty and you got dip stains on there it. There you go. Well, yeah. it's, it's swing. There you go. Is that an old logo? No, I mean, it's just, you know, it's, we're, we're rebranding here, you know. Dave's doing some new stuff down in Florida. He's taking his brand and, you know. Yeah. Well, maybe you should uh, invest some of these dollars in the uh, Golf Underground brand. Have you Perfect. thought of that? Yeah, we're actually doing so right now. Oh, so. Okay. All right, well, good. Listen, we are pumped because we have Dave Phillips of course, he's one of your buddies. Right. I mean, you run in pretty highbrow circles. Well, I met Dave. Dave, I'm trying to think. When we met, it had to be in the 80s? It was late. You know what? It was early 90s. Early first... 90s. And I would go to your basement, and we would hit balls. That's right. And you're, you're a great instructor, and, and um, you had this system, never-ending athletic training, right? Neat. The neat system. Oh, and we tried to sell it to the Royals. You remember that? And, and, and at that time, they said, well, I don't know if that's going to work because it would cost us $600 per club. And they were willing to spend the $600 per club to film guys. And it's basically what you guys use here at the stable, Kevin. Yeah. Same thing. You can draw the lines. You could do all that stuff. But that was the first time I'd ever seen that, that technology. And I remember one time we were hitting in your basement, and I was swinging, and you said, okay, let's put you up next to Tiger. And they switched me to be right-handed or Tiger to be left-handed, and, and they put us side by side, and you could tell the differences between me and Tiger Woodstrom. Oh, really? It was unbelievable. <laughs> so do you still use that system? No. So that, you know, that was the first ever computerized golf analysis system back then. I wrote it with a friend of mine who was a member at a club, and... Uh, that's how I ended up working for Ledbetter because he actually asked me to come down as his video guy and start using that to film Faldo and Ernie and all those guys. So that's how I got my start in like elite golf coaching and elite golf instruction was really through that program. And then when I lived in Kansas City, I used to commute from there down to Florida, spend like three or four days down there with Led and then come home because my wife worked, as you know, for, for Marion Lab Marion Laboratories, the guy that owned the Royals. Yeah. So that was my first entree into kind of that space. And, 
And that kind of got me known in the industry as the, as the tech guy. And a lot of people thought about me as the tech guy. And I used to say, I did a bunch of stuff on technology and so on and so forth. So I remember we took it to spring training and, right. and we filmed a bunch of guys and it was rookie day and you, you brought a bunch of guys in and you cut their hair with the Floby. It was the greatest thing I ever saw. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. And we had this one guy. I, I remember we had this one guy, Jed Hansen, who we would film and then we would show his bat would come down and then straight up and it was in the hitting zone for a total of one tenth of a second maybe or a millionth of a second and and never with no one could figure out why the guy struck out so much and the guy was a world-class athlete you remember that i mean how short of time his bat was in the zone you know you remember that i still have all that video of me filming in the batting cage and standing behind uh catches when the pitcher and the people are like, well, who's that guy? He's crazy. Like, you know, if the catcher misses it. I'm looking at the ball coming up. <laughs> so good. Amazing. Well, so, we, should, we should probably give a formal intro. Yeah, let's do Go it. Go ahead. I mean, you know, you got all your, your stories here. But uh, <laughs> you got quite a resume, Dave. Golf Magazine Top 100 since 2000. I'm assuming that's instruction, not um, on the PGA Tour. <laughs> that's true. Right? That's true. Okay, so we got that. You're an Englishman. So, so where in England were you born? I was born in a town called Gloucester, which is in England, but I, I left when I was very young, six months old, and I grew up in Kenya in Africa, and I grew up all over Africa, and then I came to America to play college golf and soccer back, you know, back in the early 80s. Nice, nice. All right, so who's your uh, Premier League um, soccer team? Well, it, it actually used to be Sheffield United because my parents were from Sheffield. It's now Manchester City because I do some some work for that, that group, so... Right, right. You like the oil money, Dave. Is that what you're getting at? The Man City cash? Listen, I just like the team. I like their development program. They got a young kid called Phil Foden that's pretty damn good. Uh, that's awesome. Well, so, um, you know, you've got a heck of a resume. You know, George was talking about what, you, what you've done to, to help the folks. So um, tell me what you're working on right now. Like, what's the, what's the brand? What's the, how are you different than all the other instructors that are out there in your system? Because you're working with some of the greats, right? You've got John Rahm, who, as a kid, uh, my kid went to ASU, so I've got the big John Rahm fan thing going. And now you've got Phil, who's another cool, I believe, ASU guy, right? Yeah, I, I mean, you're like, this is like, you're forking them, baby. So how are you selling those guys over everybody else? Well, you know, I think it, it really comes back to what we did when we first started, and that was... You know, I, I was an instructor that was just intrigued by all these different swings and different players. And then I started to study great teachers and what they did. And I noticed the pattern. I said some of them got a lot of success right away and some of them struggled with their students. And we all go through that as an instructor. You have students that get better and you have students that struggle. And that struggling was the real crux for me. I, I, it drove me nuts that everybody didn't get better. I didn't understand why people thought that if they took a golf lesson, they were going to get worse before they got better. That just made no sense to me. And I was like, if I'm really good at what I do, you should get better right away. But there was one missing ingredient, and it really came to me when I moved to Baltimore and I built this learning center at Caves Valley and that was, I met my business partner, Dr. Greg Rose. And at the time he was working with world long drive guys and he was working with uh, physical screens and biomechanics. And I went down to this facility that was in the basement of this gym and we started working together. 
And he was the first guy that took me through a movement screen, an assessment screen, and basically said, here's what you're going to do in your golf swing. And if you try and do anything else, you're going to fail. And that was that bright light moment to me that was different than what everybody else was doing is we came up with a simple way to evaluate the human body, see how it was moving. And then we built a swing based on how you moved, which made everybody get better. Because rather than saying, here's you, George, and here's Tyga, you got to swing like Tyga. That's never going to happen. Your bodies are totally different. He moves different. You move different, right? So what we did is we said, listen, let's put you up against somebody that moves like you. So here's a tour player that actually fails the same physical test that you do, but they can do it. So this is your model. This should be your model. So it was all based around movement. So how I built TPI as Titleist was one of my sponsors back then. And I brought the CEO of to, uh, to, to down uh, to see what we were doing. And he basically turned around and said, this is a future golf instruction. We will help you. And he helped fund the Titleist Performance Institute. So we have a, a 30 acre facility in Southern California. And day one, he gave us 30 of the top 60 players in the world to test. So back in 2003, they had the match play there at La Costa. And we walked into the, what is the gym behind me was just a warehouse and sitting on chairs was Phil Mickelson, Davis Love, Marco Mira, every great player was there. And he said, here you go, test your stuff. So in, in two days, we tested those guys. We took their 3D data, their physical data, and we knew what we had worked because each one of them had different swings each one of them worked differently. And if you looked at their bodies, they moved differently. And that's why their swing was the way they were. And then from there, we built an education platform. And we now have 27,000 TPI certified experts in 64 countries. And we educate in 10 different languages. And that's really our business. And then fortunately for me, you know, I've been part of Phil's team. And Phil's been a personal friend of mine for 20 plus years. Um, way back when he was first with Titleist, he won his first major with Titleist. But outside of that, I can work with anybody I want. I don't just work with Titleist players. So John Rahm, I've been working with John Rahm for eight years since John was in college and Spanish Golf Federation asked me to overlook his development. And uh, I started doing that. And he was the one guy I said, don't let anybody change your golf swing. Let's just build a better body, a better you. And let me teach you how to use what you've got. And that's what we did. And so that's what makes us different than everybody else. And that is, You've got to base it on, this is how they move. So here's, here's a plan of attack. And there's lots of ways you can go. There's lots of swings. There's lots of great coaches. I just believe that why wouldn't I want to know how you move first? And that's what we do. So we'll give me an example of the type of things you're looking for, right? So, so what type of movement? It's the movement of their hips, their flexibility. Maybe so, you should come into the stable and get assessed. He doesn't want to talk to me about it. You know, the, the problem is, um, Dave, I don't like to be judged as a 12 <laughs> handicap, a proud 12 handicap. I think there's a place for me in this world. There can't be all A golfers, right? No, you're right. You're right. Right? I mean, it's like a good company. A good company, you need B players. You can't have all A players. You need guys to get your handicap up at the end of a four-man scramble. Okay, you get two more points. You get to subtract two. Right. That's what Sully's really, really good for. Right. How about a better? How about a deeper question? What screen? Okay, back to 03. You know, I know your screen has probably morphed since then, and obviously we're very well familiar with it here at the stable. But what screen or what was the one thing that you saw? 
amongst that the tour pros struggle with that made it? I would say that, I mean, we tested the best of the best and you could very quickly see the guys that could create power and the guys that couldn't, right? And so the guys that could create power had great separation. So I would say pelvic separation and pelvic tilt because the pelvis, the glutes are the biggest muscle in your body. And if your pelvis isn't working correctly, then it's hard to transfer energy from the ground through the body into the club. So that pelvic area was really the key the key ingredient for me. And so, you know, I, when I really started studying and now we've had thousands of players, you know, through the years on 3d biomechanics, the one thing that separates the best players in the world from everybody else is they create space on the backswing and the downswing. So their pelvis stays back underneath them and they keep their chest down, which keeps their arms out in front of them. Right. So to me, I have an acronym for space. If you want to have speed, power, accuracy, consistency, and efficiency in a golf swing, you have to create space. And to do that, you need good pelvic function. And if you don't, you got to use your hands and arms. So you release the angles early. It's a timing-driven swing. You can hit some good shots, but you'll never hit the penetrating shots that you see these great players do. You just described me. He just described me. I mean, listen, George. His mind's like this. It's very hitchy. You know, there's a lot of this and that. And I like to keep it close to the body like this, you know? No so way. this separation thing's kind of nice. <laughs> that's good if you're swinging in a closet, but that's not. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe he is. Well, Listen, George and I, we go way back. So, so when I first, George could always pound it. And most baseball players can hit it a long way because if you think about the mechanics of stepping up to the plate, they separate their lower body beautifully. That's how they drop the bat and how they create so much bat speed. So even today, we have another product called On Base University that we built that's built around the TPI philosophy. And we do physical assessment screens on batters and pitches. And we work with 12 major league teams right now. And, and most of them send their elite level pitches and hitters to TPI, to a golf facility to get tested because we do what they don't do. Are the Royals one of those teams? No. <laughs> do you want the Royals to be one of those? They kind of should be because every team that's in the in the playoffs right now is right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, so talk talk a little bit about because uh, we George and I have talked at length and done some videos on the similarity between hitting and and transferring the golf club and the golf swing. Talk through a lot of those similarities you may see and what allows George to. Um, still hit for power. I mean, he's not, he's no spring chicken anymore, but no. still hitting it 290, 300 yards. Um, talk. No, George creates tremendous speed. And if you, if you look at most baseball players is they have a great foundation, right? So their base, their lower body strength is exceptional. And then because of the way they stand up to the plate and separate their lower body always leads. So the only reason why a lot of hitters come over the top like a lot of baseball guys that don't play a lot of golf they fade the golf ball or slice the golf ball the reason is is because the bat is round and they don't they don't have to in baseball square a flat face they just pull a round bat so they can hit it with any part of that bat right so if you take a, an elite level hitter like i had mike trout in and he's got tremendous speed you know first swing with a golf club was 198 miles an hour that's almost like unbelievable oh, wow so he can generate speed problem is is he doesn't know how to square the face 
So what we did at TBI is we have a bunch of baseball bats that we cut a half, cut them in half so that they have a flat face. And then you give it to a baseball player and you go, what would you do if this was what you had to do to hit a baseball? And they immediately rotate their wrists and bow their wrists to square the face. So once you teach them how to use their hands, they already know what to do with their body. They're better than anybody I've ever seen of doing it. And that's why there's so many similarities. You see guys like George Genkos and Gigi, who's studied a lot of baseball to generate speed and power with his players. So it's a great, a lot of good players come from it. Love it. Love it. All right. Hey, um, Dave, would you do us a favor? Sure. Would you, um, you know, we, we have the great George Brett here. And, and I'd like to do a comparison between his baseball swing and his golf swing. Now, we've got a lot of wires. I don't want him to be electrocuted. But, but would you maybe analyze and, 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 and break down maybe some of the differences between the uh, baseball and golf swing? I'd love to. I'm All right. Saints, would you uh, What am I George? supposed to do? You stand up. You stand up. Okay? We're going to do like no! a... Don't right. break no, anything. No! Don't break anything. Dave, I'm 68 years old. Do they want me to stand up? All right. So, uh, all right. so, so you know, I had knee surgery two months ago. All right. You know, address, the, um, address the ball, George. Address the ball. Yeah, I know there's no... Okay. Ball. Okay. All right. So, um, you know, now let's make... You're going to have to choke down so you don't uh, hit the couch. And, and well, I'm not going to be able to do anything. Well, just make, make like a... Make, okay. Make a motion. Make a motion. Right? Make a motion. All right. So, so what do you see there in George, right? So, so he's here. Good separation. Good separation. Yeah. Huh? George has great width in his golf swing. His biggest thing has always been he usually has a really strong grip. So he had a very strong grip, which is why I think as a hitter, he ended up being such a good golfer because, because he had such a strong grip when he played golf, it forced him to rotate the club, right? and rotate his body. So not the club, the body. So what George did is he had a very strong grip and to square the face, he had to get really open with his trunk and his legs, which is kind of what Dustin Johnson does. And that's what George, that's why George has been a, a scratch three, two, three handicap for, since I've known you, you've known you. You've no, no, not back then, not back then. Yeah, well, not back then, but that, that was kind of, I mean, I remember talking to you about it back then is that, when you have a strong grip, you have to have either good rotation or you have to slide a little bit, right? So you've always had a strong grip and you've had great rotation. And I think that's that's what you've always done. So as you get older, I'm not saying you're old, but as you get a little older, we've got to watch that that grip doesn't get too strong because you're not maybe rotating as good as you used to. You might not square the face as good as you used to. Hey, George, would you humor us? Would you stand up just one more time? One more time. Yeah. All right. You're like our prop here. Yeah. All right. And um, give us your baseball stance. Yep. So it's not a lot different, right? So no. the biggest difference I see is he's more vertical, obviously, in baseball. and golf, he's going to hinge at the hips more and swing more around his axis that way. Exactly. And that's because the ball's coming at a different angle, right? And Correct. Oh, it's on the ground, so the circle is tilted differently. So George is going to stand for Right? right? That's what we talked about that day we were filming all the rookies. Where the yes. ball's coming at an angle like this. Remember? The ball's yeah. coming at an angle like this, and these guys' bats were going. Right. That's right. So, and, and my big deal was, and you agreed, if we start the bat the same plane the ball is, now we yeah. swing, look how long our bat will stay through the zone where the ball actually is. Rather than <laughs> swinging up, 
So you see that angles like this, you're going to swing up. Now you have that much room to hit it. You're going to swing down and then finish high. You're going to go in the zone and out of the zone. Or if you put your bat parallel and pull, guess what? Your bat's going to be in the zone longer. And as a result, that's why I didn't strike out as much. You know, you watch games now. I mean, how many strikeouts are there in a game? 20 a game? 20 strikeouts per game? Give me a break. People don't come to watch guys strike out. They want to see guys run the bases. Well, I think Am I right or wrong, Dave? You're from England, and you even know that. I think the first game you ever went to was at Royal Stadium, wasn't it? Do you have me in the dugout there? <laughs> I think it's due to better pitching. <laughs> I think it's due to all those guys going to see you and learning how to separate. <laughs> what you did, because I remember when we did this, is you took a bunch of those rookies, and we put you next to them when you were in your prime. And I tracked the bat, and your bat, I, I, I did a dot pattern along the bat. Your bat stayed level longer than anybody else's on the Royals team, any of them. And I was 45 years old. Exactly. And then I remember when you went to the All-Star game, because I was there, and you hit, hit it unbelievable in the All-Star game. You, I mean, like when you were doing the, whatever, the hitting thing that The home run hitting contest in Denver. Yeah, you hit like every single ball that they threw at you. You didn't miss one, right? That's just like his. Uh, that's just like his fairway accuracy, seventy-four percent. Right? I don't know. Some days it's good. Some days it's good. I'm. I'm going to tell you something though. I was in Cabo. I didn't bring my clubs, and I kept sending you pictures. I didn't know you changed your phone number a year ago, but I kept sending you pictures of these rental clubs I was using, and they were Titleist clubs. And I'm going, oh, these are nice. God, I'm hitting it good. I'm hitting the driver good. I'm hitting the irons good. Sweet spot on those irons must have been that big. You know, and then I was in Punta Mita two weeks ago and I'm playing golf down there. I didn't bring my clubs. And the next thing you know, I'm hitting the good. I'm going, Dave, you got some great clubs here. <laughs> Texting the wrong guy. They make great clubs. You know, that there's everybody's doing great. Titleist has a good product line right now, but everybody's doing good. I mean, the fortunate thing, the pandemic hit everybody. Golf exploded, right? So everybody. That's All right, let's do this. Um, let's take a short commercial break and. We come back, um, I want to ask both of you a question, and it's coaching, right? It, because your system might be great. What you just described, keep the bat parallel through the zone, might be great. Um, some students get it and can turn it into something others can't, and that's got to be frustrating for both of you, right? Because you go to sport training and you tell these folks, you're working with some folks who seem to pick it up quick. And I'm curious as to how do you diagnose and, and, and get someone who might be difficult to coach and execute it? Because I think that applies to everything, whether it's swinging a bat, a golf club, or, or, or coaching life. life, right? So, hey, we're with Dave Phillips, the man, TPI. If you want a good golf swing, you got it right here. You got a great system right here in the, uh, the golf stable. And certainly you got to check out um, the Dave's uh, program. Where, where can the, the folks learn more about what you're, you and your team are doing? You can go to mytpi.com, which is just mytpi.com, and there's tons of information on there. There's lots of free stuff. We've got over 3,000 swing drills and exercises. It's a pretty cool site. That's awesome. All right, come on back. We're on Golf Underground, ESPN Radio. Hey, Brian Sullivan here, and I've got a tip for you. You've got to head to Unforked. It's an amazing restaurant. What I like about these guys is they promise to buy and support seasonal local ingredients first. And I love the fact that they source from smaller, family, GAP-certified, or organic farms, 
prime-going regions, artists and producers. All I'm getting at is, if you like fresh stuff, Unforked is the place to be. And like they say it, fork or no fork, you can be sure you're getting the highest quality, socially responsible ingredients possible. And not to mention, it's delicious. So whether you're out south or downtown, stop by Unforked for a delicious and healthy meal. Sheridan's Unforked, honest, clean food. Cowell Insurance Services is your leading program administrator for workers' compensation. They're dedicated to meeting the unique challenges of the insurance industry and assisting employers in reducing their costs. CIS has provided insurance claim and loss control services to various industries, including trucking, construction, retail convenience stores, and healthcare, as well as public entities for over 30 years. They work with both retail agents and industry clients, or a combination of the two. If you're tired of fighting the rising costs of premiums and claims, give Cowell Insurance Services a call. Their dedicated staff is ready to find you the best insurance option at the most competitive price. They can help to define or enhance your safety program in order to move you in the right direction in reducing your claim and premium costs. Contact Cowell Insurance Services today, 816-214-4070. Hey, Brian Sullivan from the Golf Underground here with a little good news. And that good news is that even double-digit handicappers like me can occasionally make a double eagle. All right, maybe not on a golf course, but even guys like me can score when buying a new car or truck. I'm talking about two stores, two brothers and four generations, treating customers just like family. I'm talking about our buddies at Bobsite Ford and Bobsite Independence Kia. With these guys, you'll always score two under with double the inventory and double the customer satisfaction. That's the Bobsite Double Eagle. Now, Bobsite offers a wide selection of vehicles and promise to make the car buying process as quick and as hassle-free as possible. Now, whether you have poor credit, no credit, or maybe a first-time car buyer, you can trust Bobsite Ford. And Bobsite Independence Kia will get you into the car or truck you choose with professionalism and attention to your needs. So go visit our buddies at Bobsite.com, but only if you're looking for a vehicle that makes you feel like a U.S. Open champion. Golf Underground ESPN Radio, back in the stable, Wardo Sully, we got Sinks, we got Stella the dog, right? We got Mr. Charlie. Winter. We got Mrs. Ward. We got a bunch. We got a lot of people that can be this thankful is... for Dave and TPI. I mean, look at Stella. <laughs> Stella, put your legs together, please. Disgusting. <laughs> all right, hey, well, listen, we're gonna have a great pro program. We, all right, let's recap a little bit. We talked a little bit about the uh, similarities between the baseball swing, the golf swing. How you helped George uh, in the All-Star game. I'm sure he's very grateful <laughs> about that. Right? Single-handedly single uh, helped him do this. But, but I asked the question before the break about um, your processes can be great, your instruction book, your playbook can be great, but getting people to do it often is difficult, right? And so uh, how do you turn a great process and coach someone, what do they need to do to take the process, other than the obvious, practice through it. Um, but how can you help them really transform their swing, especially when they're at the highest levels, like Mickelson or John Ron? So, I mean, you know, listen, everybody has a different level of skill, right? So you can help somebody, you have to bring whatever you're teaching down to their skill level, and you have to build a base of skill to get them to a point. So, like, often working with an elite level player, a Phil or a John Rom 
it's easy because their skill level is so high. You actually almost have to be careful of an instructor. You don't overcoach them. You give them a little bit of information. That's all they need and they go. So the skill with an elite level, with a, I'm sure this is the same with George with baseball, is that you, you have to say, as a great coach, you have to say the right thing at the right time. And, and it can trigger a whole bunch of emotions and thoughts in someone that has the skill. Someone that doesn't have the skill, you have to build that base first. And to change anything, it all starts in the brain. So this is the new research and the new science that we're spending most of our time on today is that today we can actually monitor what's going on in the brain, what part of the brain the golf swing is in, where you're, you're processing information, and then we can start to actually figure out how to coach you and how to deliver proper practice programming to you. So there's nobody you can't help. And there's nobody that can't get better. If they're not able to transfer it from practice to play, there's a breakdown in the way they're getting the information. That's it. Because the brain, you can coach anybody and you can change the brain at any age. Hmm. Boy, that's, I wish I would have knew that. Like it's time to make some changes, bud. I wish I would have knew that in 2013 when I was the Royals hitting coach for two months. Because <laughs> <laughs> that did not go well at all. It did not go well at all. Even though guys would go out and take the worst batting practice I'd ever seen, and, and I would be giving them, try this, try this, and they'd try it, and they'd go, I, I don't know. I, I think I'm just going to do my way. I'd say, hey, by the way, your batting practice was great. You're going to rip it up today on the go. I, I built those guys up before every game that their swing was as good as could be, and I'd be sitting in the dugout going, they have no chance. Really? But at least I put them in a position as a coach Hey, everything's fine. You you know, they went up their first at bat, David, and they were going, God, coach said I'm swinging good, you know? And then all of a sudden they'd make it out their first at bat, go to the dugout, start throwing crap, breaking stuff, cursing, putting towels over their head, screaming bloody murder. <laughs> and I'd go up and say, Hey, that's only one at bat. We got three more. Okay? Keep grinding. They'd make it out their second time and do the same thing again. And after two months, I said, I'm wasting my time, I'm wasting your time, and I'm wasting the organization's money. I'm no longer doing this. <laughs> you know, it was tough. It was really hard. But, you know, the, the, that's the future, really, of elite level coaching is that, you know, everybody has a process. And as long as you can understand what it is, you can break it down in understandable blocks for that person. And then they can do it. Because if you talk to any elite level athlete, George, you've had these moments when you can't miss the Michael Jordans of the world have had moments when they're sick and they play out of their mind. We've all had experiences where we're in the so-called zone, right? And when you're in that, if you ask any elite level athlete, when, it, when you were in that space, what were you thinking about? Every one of them will say, will say nothing, 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 <laughs> nothing. Right? They'll say nothing, right? It just was happening. Things were in slow motion. I was in the zone. I was focused. I was calm. You were just in this flow, this, this childlike state, right? Right. And that's what we have to get back to. And the problem with today's society is that we're so driven by what's on the mobile device and everybody's got some form of ADD because this thing's buzzing every five seconds and you're looking at the next Twitter feed, the next this, that, the other. So no one can really drive to some focal point. And if you're playing elite level golf and you talk to the best of the best, they, their focus becomes extremely defined. I mean, they can pick out a, a blade of grass from 200 yards away or a leaf from 200 yards away. That's what they're focusing on. And everything else is quiet. Because if you're thinking about mechanics and swing, you got no chance. No chance. None whatsoever. Prepare.
Yeah. No, I agree. I agree with you 100%. We do a deal all the time. Your mind can only do one thing at a time, right? Can only do one thing. So if I tell you, Dave, to say, okay, I want you to say five numbers between one and five in no random order, real slow. I'll go first and then you go second, okay? <laughs> Four, one, five, two, three. Go ahead. Any, any numbers you want between one and five? Four, one, five, two, five. Slow, two. slow. I want you to go slow. Okay. So four, one, five, two, three. Three. Okay, now put your hand up. When you say a number, put up a different amount of fingers. Go ahead. Four, five, five. No, it's five. <laughs> <laughs> your mind can only do one thing at a time. Does that prove it to you? So if you're thinking about your fundamentals and a guy's throwing a ball at you 95 miles an hour, are you going to see it? No. And that just reiterates what you just said. What were you thinking about when you were in the zone? Nothing. Or, or seeing the ball, right? Nothing. But the, the way, and, and everybody's in this search of, well, how do you get there? Well, you get there by, you do the practice you need to do so that exactly. you Exactly. Right? And exactly. That, and, that, and that's the thing is that you have to have practiced enough that you own that skill. So tying it to your routine. I'm pretty sure that every time George stepped into the, into the circle, I'm not a baseball guy, but you batter's box batter's box. I'm pretty sure if we looked at you, you did the same taps, the same shuffle, the same, this, that was your routine. No different than if I step up with my driver, I step in the same way. That's my comfort zone. When, when I do that, as long as I don't stay too much time in that spot and I'm ready to go, I should be able to perform. I should be able right. to let it go. Right. And that's why well, team is so important. Well, also, if you look at the ball, a lot of people say, well, I can, I can do a move or when the ball gets in the way. And so, like, that's kind of back to the training or the TPI thing, whether the ball's coming at you or the ball, most of the sports where the ball's moving, a lot of these athletes struggle when the ball is still, right? Same thing. But to your point, like, when you, when you, you go back to, like, the Jack Nicklaus's of the world, he said, I never pulled the trigger till I saw the shot. Tiger was very much the same way, right? You know, and you talk to elite guys today. They're so into their target that by the time their eyes come back to the ball, they're there for a split second, not even. You know, it's a very small amount of time they're actually looking at that golf ball. They're still focused on where this thing is going to go, right? Absolutely. So, Dave, you're talking about being in the zone. I know you were in the zone one day when you were playing the old course. <laughs> Tell, tell us the story. I mean, this is a great story. It is a great story. So <laughs> how many years ago was that? That was 1995. Did, did you want me to actually tell the whole story? Well, just a condensed version of it. I mean, it's a great story. I think everybody would really enjoy listening. So in, in 1995, I went to St. Andrews with my brother-in-law, and we went there just, we were on vacation, and we stopped at St. Andrews, and I've got my clubs in the car and would love to play the golf course. Don't have a tee time. And my wife's actually with me and she goes, well, we can keep ourselves busy. Why don't you go see if they'll let a single play? So I'm like, really? So yeah. So I run down to the starter shed and there's uh, an old guy there. And I ask him, I say, I'm a single, I'm a golf pro from America. And I, if there's any chance of playing the old course. And he goes, well, son, he goes, the, uh, there's three Germans on the putting green. And one of their guys is sick. So they're just a threesome. 
So I can't ask them, but if you go down and you say, and you convince them that you can play and they say, yes, you can play. And sure enough, I run down there, they speak kind of broken English and they say, yes. So I'm in, I run to the car, get my clubs, come to the first tee. I, I go, you know, do you want a caddy? I get this old guy that comes out of the pub across the road that's half out of it. And uh, I get on the first tee and he looks at me and he goes, what kind of a player are you? And I go, I'm a, I'm a golf professional. And he goes, I'll be the judge of that, son. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then he proceeds to, to cut the long story short, but he goes, you just hit it where I tell you to hit it and you'll be just fine. So first tee, I pull out driver. He goes, you'll not be needing that driver here on this hole. And he gives me a forward, hit it down the middle of fairway, knock it on the green, make the putt for birdie. So we, we start going. And to cut a long story short, by the time we get to 11 tee box, I'm seven under par on 11 tee box, right? And I'm playing out of my mind. Every shot is coming to me like, and all I'm doing is he's going, see that bush, hit it over that bush. And I would just, I would be like that bush. And he'd be like, yeah. And I would just hit it over that bush. And then he'd go, see this, see that there, hit it there. And I would just hit it wherever he was telling me to hit it. I wouldn't even think. Because half the time when I walked up to my ball and I looked at the bunkers and the gorse, I was like, I would never have hit it here. I would never have even thought about going where he told me to go. So anyway, we, we keep going and we get to 17 and uh, um, no, we get to 16 and I'm nine under par on 16 tee box. And I, there's this whole crowd of people on the back of the tee box. And I'm like, man, there's a lot of people out here. What, what are they doing out here? And he goes, they've come to watch you. <laughs> word word had spread word had spread that you were tearing a course exactly so he had been every time we'd stopped at a tee box and there was a group he was betting on me with the other caddies right and now it had gotten back to the clubhouse that there was a guy out on the golf course shooting this crazy number and people were coming out there was like a guy with a bike a guy with a dog with a pipe and and, (laughs) you know i'm standing there going and so i'm standing on 16 tee box and you know, I hit a great drive again, right where he told me. I hit the iron shot in there. But now I knew that I was where I was. I'm nine under par, you know, and, and I've got three holes to go. And I hit great putts coming in and great shots coming in. And I, I lipped out on it, went in the back of the hole on the last hole and popped out for, for 10 under. I shot nine under, which tied the course record at the time, 63 at St. Andrews. And it was just one of those out-of-body experiences wow. that was really, really, really tough. Let me ask you a question. What were you thinking about? Nothing! I was saying nothing. The bush. The bush. And I hit it. I didn't even think about it. There was not a single thing, swing thought, until the last three holes. I was trying way hard in the last three holes to try and shoot a number. Because I knew the course record was 63, and I knew I was on it, right? So I was like... I'm going to break the course record at St. Andrews. This is going to be an unbelievable story. And that was the first time. And even though I hit solid shots, they, they, the, the putts were not relaxed and just let it go. I was trying so hard to make those putts come in. Wow. So wait, what'd you end up with? Six, 63. 63. That's a, how long did the record, were, were you tied for? So at the time, there was a guy called Ignacio Garrido and I think Marco Mira had both shot 63. And then they lengthened the course after that. And then the, the, there was a new course record at like 62 or 63. And then it got broken recently um, at the Dunhill Cup. I think uh, a guy shot 61. I think it's 61 now. 
Wow. I was there with those guys for for probably a good ten years. I had shots. <laughs> The German, the German guys you were playing with that you'd never met before, they had to be going crazy. And what kind of golfers were they? Were they shooting in the 90s or the 80s or what? Hey. The beautiful thing about Germany is to play golf, you have to pass a test, like a driving test, right? And everybody gets this card that says they've passed the test. They go out with their golf pro, they play 18 holes, and they sign off that they've passed this test. And what happens is if they shoot two over par on any hole, they just pick up the ball, put it in their pocket. So these guys were just like, they would hit and hit and hit. They'd pick up the ball, put it in their pocket, and they would scratch <laughs> me, and they would cry. And they would cry. <laughs> it was the greatest thing ever. Amazing. All right, so I want to I dive in a little bit on kind of back to the, the mind side um, of the game. So let's pick on a guy like Phil or even Rom. So obviously you collect a lot of data and use, use a lot of the um, technology to your advantage. Talk through how you might – Use that time, the technology more in the off season or vice versa, or how do you plan out your work with Phil? So I'm not Phil's coach, you know, I'm Phil's friend. I'm, I'm part yeah. of his performance team. Andrew Getson is his coach. He's a yeah. great, great golf instructor out of Arizona and has done an amazing job with Phil. But I, I've been part of his kind of a group for a long time because I've been a personal friend of his, our kids grew up together and so on and so forth. So I've always fed him information when he's wanted it. And if he asks me, I'm open to tell him. So, you know, the thing is, is you, you saw this a lot at the, and this was more of him just, Phil likes to get information. He's very inquisitive. And then he takes it and he kind of processes it and he, he creates his way, Phil's way, which is, which is really what advanced athletes do. Because if they do it themselves, they then own it. They're not worried about me showing up or Andrew showing up telling them they now know how to put this into play. And I think that's what Phil is really good at is Phil can take information. He, it might take him a day. It might take him six months. It might take him two years before he's ready to actually put it into play, but he'll start crafting it into his world. Right? So you probably saw this at the PJ championship. You probably saw him closing his eyes or, the reason he's wearing the glasses is so he can close his eyes and you don't see it, but he's breathing, right? He's taking deep breaths and he's really trying to quiet his mind and get himself focused because there's so much going on around him. First of all, not the, not just the fact he's 51 years old, trying to win a major championship, set an all, you know, a record, but just winning any golf tournament. And this happens to be the PJ championship and he's in contention and by the way, he's playing with a guy that chews these guys up and spits them out in majors, Brooks Kepka, right? So that's an even another bigger thing that most people don't talk a lot about is Phil was playing against a guy that is a closer, right? He closes major championships. And although he had had a bit of an injury himself, you're still thinking, I think everybody's thinking, oh, Brooks is going to take him down. There's no way Phil's going to take this to the, to the house. And if you watch him coming down the stretch, the decision process and what he's doing was very much that. He was very calm, very calculated, taking his time, hitting the shots, using the wind, doing everything as good as you could really do it, right? I mean, internally, there. I mean, he must have collapsed afterwards, which I, I'm pretty sure he did because the mental grind, and that's the other thing, and George knows about this, is focusing at the highest level for that length of time, being out on a golf course for five hours, and, and calculating the wind and the shot and the right decision and processing it. Although we play golf for a level, you know, we're over the ball for what, a second or two seconds. 
they're out there for five or six hours. The mental load on your brain is intense and it draws everything from you. So physicality, this is why players work out today and train more today and get stronger today. It's not to just be strong and look good and hit the ball far. It's because the mental grind on your body to stay at that level for that length of time is extremely taxing, right? And I studied like this from Formula One. So Formula One has something called a mental acuity training gym, the Formula One drivers go through. You're in a car for an hour to two hours driving at 180 to 200 miles an hour and you make a split second mistake and you're dead or you lose the race. What do you think's going on in their heads? And those guys lose body weight like eight to 12 pounds when they get out of the car and their heart rates at 170 to 180 beats for an hour and a half. You don't think wow. I mean, they may not be physically doing something, but the, the, the grind on their body is massive. massive. Did you watch that Netflix uh, show on Formula One? Yeah. Yeah, I watched it. I watched one episode one night. I think I watched three seasons in, in, in a week. I mean, it's one of those shows you can't stop watching. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. It's not. I'm going to go to go to my first Formula One race next year. Yes. Yes. I'm going to go. You got to go. I'll go with you. Let's go. Okay. Let's go to Monaco. The last time, the last time I saw you in Italy, you got robbed. <laughs> you remember that? Oh my God. I'm staying in this big chateau up in Tuscany and, and uh, it's like four bedrooms. You got our own pool. We got, I mean, unbelievable places, right? And one day I'm walking, me and Brooksy and somebody else, we would walk down these dirt roads and I run into Dave Phillips in the middle of nowhere. And no he's way. staying in the in the big chateau, probably a hundred yards from where we're staying. That's right, hundred. And and so he said, you know, next thing you know, I see him the, the next day. They got robbed that night. Oh my god! They think they put some sleeping gas through a hole in the wall or something, made the whole house go to sleep, and then they broke in and they stole your buddy's Rolex and all that stuff. And yeah. In the middle of in the middle of Tuscany, I run into oh, Dave. In the middle of nowhere, I haven't seen George in like five years, and I hear this guy and these guys walking. I'm like, I'm gonna go see them, who those guys are. And sure enough, the guy walking up to me is George Brown. <laughs> are you kidding? Yeah, it was unbelievable. And then how about the story when we went to the Ryder Cup together at the Belfry? That was yeah. legendary George story. So I have to tell the story. So we're at the Ryder Cup first tee box. Everybody's nervous as hell, right? You got Freddie Couples and Davis Love playing together. And George is standing right behind the ropes. And he's wearing Bubba Gump teeth. <laughs> right. I fit right in over there, didn't I? <laughs> Those guys are so nervous. And Freddie looks at George. And George smiles with these Bubba Gump teeth. And he starts laughing so hard that he looks, he goes to Davis and, it, and, and David steps up and just rips it right down the middle of the fairway. And I think that that broke the ice because they were, cause they were right. so <laughs> The greatest thing ever. Is that what you're going to be for Halloween? No, no. I am a fighter pilot. Are you? I'm an I'm a, uh, uh, F-16 pilot every year. Nice. I got a suit. I got the helmet. I got everything. From when I rode in one, they gave it to me. Really? So yeah. every year, Halloween, I hand out candy in my flight suit. Do you really? Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's so awesome. Good. All right, let's do this. Let's take a. a I might go as a caddy this year. I still have my bib. Yeah, let's go. Uh, caddy. That's my bib. That is your bib. <laughs> I've been looking for that bib. You I got, got it. Bib? I got it. 
<laughs> and it's got uh, Tom Watson. We can tell that right. story after the break. Yeah. All right, let's take a break. Um, and uh, Wardo, when we come back, um, should we go to the rapid fire? I mean, you... uh, we're going to hit him. With... I got some good ones for him. Do you? Oh, yeah. Are you guys going to okay. ner- maybe nerd out a little bit? We're going to nerd out a little bit. Okay, all right, good. Hey, Dave Phillips, check him out. It is what? MyTPI.com. MyTPI.com. Come on back here to Golf Underground ESPN Radio. Looking for Casey's best and coolest apartment experience? We have it, and it's called the Flats Casey. The Flats KC is committed to providing an exemplary living experience by offering the best in-class residential communities in the most sought-after neighborhoods in Kansas City. With a focus on meticulous restoration and renovations of vintage properties, we aim to take the beauty of vintage and seamlessly unite it with modern touches. If you love urban living and are in the market for a freshly renovated apartment, The Flats Kansas City has options to fit every price range. Check us out at theflatskc.com or give us a call today at 816-454-3118. Hey, Brian Sullivan of Golf Underground with my favorite orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Kevin Witte from Sano Orthopedics. Hey, Doc, golf season's over. My back is killing me. I know it's football season, so you got a lot of kids coming in, blown ACLs, all sorts of body parts with problems. And then, of course, those baseball players. I know you fix a lot of elbows. Why is Sano Orthopedics the absolute best sports medicine orthopedic group in Kansas City? Well, if you want to see the guys in town have had the best orthopedic fellowship training in sports medicine, um, including training with Dr. James Andrews and Dr. Larry Lemack, come see us. Uh, we individualize patients' uh, plans to get them back to that activity and that sport that they love. And we actually care and listen to to our patients and follow up with them and make sure that they're getting the results they need. Okay, and so the three things that separate you. Number one, best training. Number two, you specialize in getting people on that field. Number three, you're actually listen. Where could I learn more? Because you got me all in and I don't really want to get fixed, but it's time. At sonoorthopedics.com, 816-525-2840. Hi, this is George Brett, Hall of Fame baseball player, and I've been playing golf for over 35 years. Hitting the ball far was never my problem, but the closer I got to the greens, that's when my problems began. When I wanted a golf practice area in my backyard, I called Celebrity Greens. They are the industry leader in custom-built synthetic golf greens. These championship-caliber, low-maintenance greens roll great, react like real bent grass, and hold chip shots that check and spin. I absolutely love mine, not only in Kansas City, but also in Arizona. Call the pros at Celebrity Greens at 1-888-507-7960 or visit them online at CelebrityGreens.com. Practice like the pros or people like me that want to be pros right in your own backyard. Hey, Brian Sullivan, Golf Underground, with a little tip for you. If you're looking to buy a new Ford, you have to check out my buddy, Jason Gudenkoff at Lewisburg Ford. They've been saving Midwest Ford buyers thousands of bucks for over 40 years. Because they do business the right way. They sell everything. Check this out for $50 over invoice. That's simple and cheap. And they win a lot of awards. In fact, they won Ford's President's Award 17 times. That's the top Ford award. And they only give it to dealers with superior customer satisfaction in sales and service. So they know how to take care of customers better than anybody. Now, what these guys know how to do also, keep this in mind, sell trucks. Lewisburg Ford has sold more F-150s than any other Ford dealership in greater Kansas City. That's two years running. And last year, they were the number one F-150 sales leader in the entire state of Kansas. So, no hassle. $50 over invoice pricing. 
unparalleled customer satisfaction, and a huge selection that's a perfect recipe for selling trucks. So check out all their inventory and prices online at lewisburgford.com or give them a call at 816-444-2300. New golf clubs, a big screen TV to watch the U.S. Open, or maybe even a new golf cart that I've got my eye on. No matter how you choose to spend the savings, if you're looking to put a dent in your monthly heating and cooling bills, the answer may be right over your head. If your attic isn't insulated properly, you're missing out on a prime opportunity to cut costs. Call the certified energy experts at Star Companies, Inc., 816-353-2160 for a free estimate to learn how they can help you save money. 816-353-2160 or visit StarCompaniesKC.com. Do you have retirement dreams about perfecting your swing and spending your time on the green? Or maybe you have a bucket list of golf courses you'd like to travel to. Whatever your financial goals are, Mariner Wealth Advisors is your advocate. We take the same care in understanding where you stand today as we do in understanding where you want to be in the future. Then, we help you set a personalized plan to help you achieve your long-term vision. Contact Mariner Wealth Advisors today to start your financial planning journey. Visit MarinerWealthAdvisors.com to find a location near you. Mariner Wealth Advisors, otherwise known as MWA, is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Registration of an investment advisor does not imply a certain level of skill or training. For additional information about MWA, including fees and services, please contact MWA or refer to the disclosures on our website. Please read the disclosure statement carefully before you invest or send money. This advertisement should not be considered investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities. Hey, welcome back off Underground ESPN Radio. We're here with the uh, great Dave Phillips and George. I mean, this is like a like a boys trip. I feel like we'd be sitting around the end of a pub right now. A reunion going on here. Like, I keep coming back all these things. Just... This would be a good foursome right here. Yeah. This would be a great I mean, foursome. Th- thanks for in- including us in, in the, you know, the fraternity chat. Well, Dave, Dave, how's your game right now? Are you getting a chance to play a lot? I'm not playing a lot. I, I played today. I played Michael Jordan's place, and, and it was great. I had a great time, and uh, it, it was cool out there. It was really nice. 23. It's. I heard they're putting a Discovery Land property right next door to that, huh? I think they are, yeah. I think there's some land right next door that Discovery's going to build. And, um, yeah, I mean, listen, they need golf courses. You know, it's funny. I, I talked to Tom Fazio not too long ago, and, and whereas there was no golf courses being built, all of a sudden – there's more golf courses being built because a lot of people that love the outdoors want to be outdoors. And that's why during COVID golf did so well, right? It was that one thing that, and COVID's still going crazy, but you know, it's at least we're starting to get some control over it. And uh, you know, golf is still doing really well. People, people love to just get out and exercise, which is what they should do. So is Florida now home for you or are you going to be back on in Carlsbad? Yeah, I mean, I still have a lot going on in Carlsbad. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at some things here and doing some different things. And I, I'm looking at kind of the whole performance space and, and just turning it on its head, doing some things that I've wanted to do for a long time and, and really building more of a, you know, some, something to do with innovation and, and really looking at things that nobody's looked at. And, you know, when you've been in this business as long as I have, and you've been around great athletes like George and other athletes you start to see similarities with golf and other sports, but you also start to see what's missing and things that we don't look at that we should be looking at. And that's what I'm most interested in doing now. Other than the mental side, what else do you think is underserved? Well, I mean, you know, again, is it in, in golf or in, 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 in the all sports space? Are we, which, which are we talking about? Golf. So, I mean, golf specifically, 
you know, when you look at, at I, I think the mental space is the next big thing. I think understanding your brain and knowing how to practice and how to take it to the golf course is truly the next big thing. I think nutrition is huge. I think visual acuity is huge, but that starts in the brain. So vision starts in the brain. So again, it's still back to how do you manage what's going on in your head so that you can play your best. And then little things that I think are miss, miss kind of, there's a lot of talking golf on force and pressure. There's a lot of biomechanics and those are all great if you understand the information. I think the shoe is a big one. I don't think people realize how important force is, but having the right shoe for your foot, if you're high arch, low arch, and how it affects your golf swing and your movement pattern. And I think most people buy a pair of shoes because they like the look of it or it's comfortable, but they don't buy it for sport, right? So to me, that's a big factor and you should be paying more attention to your foot and, and your foot mechanics, because if the ground is where power comes from, then I better make sure that what I got on my foot is supporting that. And then I think the next big one, and I learned this from Bob Tosky many years ago. He said, there's two things I want you to worry about. Worry about your feet because they're the only thing connected to the ground and worry about your hands because they're the only thing connected to the club, right? Yeah, and well, I think pressure on the grip. So hmm. building a pressure sensor where I can see where you're adding force in the grip and why I think those are things that just intrigue me and that I, I, I want to study. So but those are two areas. Love it. Love it. Hey, a question on the grip. So, so what's the big mistake for the, for the average golfer? Is it I know. squeezing too hard? I know. I know. You got the answer? Squeezing too hard. Ding, 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 too ding, much ding. tension. You have too much pressure on the grip, Let's which causes see. cancer, which causes tension in your arms, which then you lose the fluidity of it. You know, Charlie Loud used to tell me, grip it like it's a tube of toothpaste, okay? You take the top off. If you're squeezing too hard and toothpaste is coming out, that means you're squeezing too hard. You don't want any toothpaste to come out. So it was just, I mean, when I batted, I mean, that thing was just rusting in there. I had no pressure at all, none whatsoever. And then when I would go to swing at contact, it would get tight, you know? And I find myself on the golf course a lot in crucial situations. Man, I'm, that, I'm, I'm, that toothpaste is flying out of there. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm like this, and the toothpaste has hit me in the face. I've got such a strong grip, you know? I can do it in baseball, but I can't do it in golf. But I think yeah. that's, a, that's probably the number one problem, don't you think, about the grip is that people grab it too tight. Yeah, I, I would definitely say that. So, you know, we've studied a lot of... <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> gotcha, Charlie. Turtle. <laughs> Turtle. <laughs> what were you saying now? Continue, Dave. <laughs> wow, I did a celebration. I got a, I got a question right. Here's the thing. Like, when you study the world long drive guys, the guys that hit at 400 yards, right? And then you test their grip strength. Their grip strength is so much stronger than the average player. So what is soft to them and what is soft to the average player, right? So for instance, if I have 60 pounds of pressure and I say, I want you to, if I can, if I can grab 60 pounds of force, right? And I say, I want you to grip it light. That might be 30 pounds for me. Whereas if I get an amateur golfer whose maximum force is 30, that's 15 for him. So what is the maximum? Because if a club is moving at a great rate of speed, you need to hang on to hold, to hold up onto it, right? So if it's moving pretty slow. So I agree with George that you have to have soft grip pressure 
There are guys that grip it tighter, but still can keep their arms soft. But I do think that that pressure changes throughout the swing. And that's what I'm most interested in is where does it change? Where do you grip it with the maximum amount of force? And when do you release that force? Because that would help me understand the release of the golf club. The one thing I, we see here a lot in the amateur or even, for example, Alex Gordon, great player who played major league for years, really weak left hand. So that's a common thing I see in the, in the higher handicaps. Sure. So, so you would say that, and I would, I would agree with you, and then we would go look at John Rahm, who's the number one player in the world, and look at his left hand. It's probably right. as weak as any amateur you've ever seen. Right. So his left hand is so weak, right? But then he bows it immediately and puts it in a very powerful position at an impact. He maintains that bow and he has a forward leaning shaft. So it's like if I was going to coach an amateur golfer, the number one thing amateur golfers, and this is a, a, a problem with coaching and problem we all have, is we don't teach people enough the difference between setup and impact and what it looks like. If you take your 20 handicapper and go, show me impact. They'll look at you like a deer in the headlights. No and the clue. reason is, is because you never taught them what it looks like. So if you get an amateur golfer and anybody at home that's listening should try this, get in front of the mirror, take your setup position and then go to your impact position, which the shaft should be leaning forward. Your hips will be open. Your weight will be on your lead foot um, or, or you'll be ready to push off your lead foot. Your chest will be open, right? If you go to that position and you look at it and go, okay, now you know where impact is. Take a three-quarter swing and go to impact, you'll hit the ball better than you ever have before. Because most of them have no idea where impact is. I never thought of that. Mm-mm. Way over my head. Yeah. So we'll do we use K-Vest here. Injury. So we'll we'll do a lot of you know putting them into a position, either backswing setup and whatnot. And that then they get the biofeedback of that feel. And so that's so that, great. Those things are awesome, but don't ever neglect the fact that people need education, right? And a right. lot of times sitting them down in front of a big screen and going or putting them in front of a mirror and you stand next to them and go, okay, here, let's, get, let's both set up together. Now I'm going to go to impact. Now you go to impact and see the difference so that they immediately see, because people have to feel it. This is part of how you build people better so that they can take it to the golf course. They need to know what to do. Not what you tell them to do, but what to do. And then, then they've got to figure out in their own language, in their own head. So that's why I always ask my students after I've told them something and they've showed me they can do it, tell me what you just did. And, and say it back to me in your words. And as long as I agree that that's what it was, even if, if I don't agree with the message, as long as I agree that they look what, what I want them to look like, then I say it back to them in their words. That's modal learning. And that's how you change the brain. That's how you get people better. Well, it's also great coaching. You, you know, you said something as it related to Phil, right? That it had to be Phil's idea, which I think is one of the arts of being a great coach is if you tell a Phil who would naturally be a contrarian, he's going to fight you back. But if you feed him with a little something and follow it with some questions, how would this do for you? When would it work? Would it work? Right? You're a little indifferent. It comes out of his brain, his mouth, he owns it. And that's, I mean, that's the art of a great coach right there. Well, it is. I mean, listen, we do a lot of that at the elite level because the minute you talk to a tour player, the first thing they do is they put their hands up. Like they don't, they're very careful. Like don't mess too much with what's going on here. I'm pretty damn good already, right? right. <laughs> really, it's making them understand and find it themselves. So you as a good coach, you need to feed them just enough information 
so that they figure out. And sometimes you have to do the reverse. You'd say to somebody like Phil or, or John, man, I, I love the way you're striking the whole golf ball right now at impact. You look like you're really cleared, but he's not. But okay. you just said that and it puts the thought in his head. So the next swing, he's like, yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly what I feel. But that wasn't what he was doing a minute ago. Right. So you kind of trick them. You place the thought in the right spot and now you let them you let them own it because I. I've toured a lot of, I've been around a lot of great athletes. I mean, I've been part of major league, not major, major championship winners, like 20 of them, right? A part of their teams. And, and I've been fortunate to help coach John Rom. And I'll tell you right now, I've learned more from every one of those guys than I've ever taught them. Yeah. That's what a nice, that's what a humble coach says. <laughs> it's true. I can't hit the golf ball as good as them. Right. But if I can put the parts, the pieces together, that helps them excel to the greatest level, then that's 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 plenty good enough for me. So I got a, I got a poster on the back of my door that simply says simplify, right? So what I'm trying to do is simplify the message so that they own it, so that they can tell it to me, so that they can go do it, right? Not, not make it more. And this is where coaching today, we use technology, which is great, but sometimes we overcoach. We want to give the best love and So I'm going to take the video camera out. I'm going to hook you up to 3D. I'm going to do a physical screen. I'm going to put you on force and pressure. I'm going to get all the data. I do that at TPI. That's when a player comes in here. I don't show them anything. What I do is I go, I'm going to go in my secret room and look at all this stuff. Here, have a, have a, have a water, whatever. I'll be back in five minutes. And I come back in five minutes. I go, here's what you need to do. You need to move two inches closer to the ball. And they look at you like, What? Like this actually happened. Like I remember doing this with Ben Crane years ago. We went through all the stuff. He's all excited. He can't wait to see the data and the analytics and everything. And we walk in and we go, Ben, you need to move two inches closer to the ball. And he looks at us and goes, what? I, what how's it going? Everything's great. Just move two inches closer to the ball. He's like, really? And I'm like, yeah. Sure enough, he moves two inches closer to the ball and absolutely stripes it. We yeah. look at all of that stuff to come back with move two inches closer to the ball. <laughs> That's so good. That's awesome. What is there a player or talk to us about a player or uh, somebody that either either you work with or you've seen on tour that's been no anti-physio, anti-body swing connection that's just overcome that and now they're all in on both aspects. That's actually that's a good question. Um, like somebody on tour that was anti-everything and now Here stretch. Is. Because, because obviously when you started doing this in 93, screening all those guys, I mean, probably a third of them were into the physio at that point. Well, put it this way. When I first started, it was 2003, and they were intrigued because really Tiger was doing everything, right? And that's right. where TPI was really built. It was built around Tiger was doing things other people weren't doing. We need to be on the forefront of looking at it. And uh, so that was where it is. But And so there was this migration. You Every year you'd had Greg Norman got in the gym, Faldo got in the gym. Every decade there seemed to be a guy that was doing a few things differently. So it was starting to change back then. I mean, I would say that of a player, I mean, recent players, everybody's doing it now, right? I mean, we've been doing this long enough. We have thousands of TPI certified guys. Everybody's got a trainer. They're in the gym. They're working out. Are there a few that does it less than others? Yes. Um, you know, I probably look at a guy like Bubba probably didn't do much at all. You know, he had a homegrown swing and there was a time there where he got in the gym and he trained 
And then he got away from it because it, it screwed him up. He didn't like it. And he went back to just being him. But when you have a, 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 a homegrown swing, something that is innate in you and, and you built it and you know how it works, you got to be very careful looking for help. Because if you do, that's not going to fit a lot of goat coaching models, right? It's like nobody, nobody has the Jim Furyk school of golf. Yeah, Jim Furyk, <laughs> right? I mean, but Jim Furyk, I've, I've tested his 3D. It's incredible how good it is, right? He shot the lowest score ever in a PJ Tour event, 58. Um, uh, actually, there was a kid called Alejandro Del Rey who shot 57, I think, last week in, a, in an event in Europe. But, but still, Jim Furyk shot 58 in a PJ Tour event. He's four-time all-leading money winner on the PJ Tour. He's played in a bunch of Ryder Cups, and there's no Jim Furyk school of golf. Why? Because yeah. you just don't like the look of it? It's extremely efficient. And you look at how close he stood to the golf ball, which forced him to get out of the way and create space. And if you look at two other guys that stand close to the golf ball than anybody on the tour, one would be Tiger Woods, who's the best iron player ever, right? Statistics prove it. He is the best iron player ever. And then the other one right now is John Rahm. John Rahm stands really close to the ball, which forces him to get out of the way and keeps him on top of the golf ball. Not for everybody. There's great players that stand further away. But Jeff stands on top of it. Does he? Oh, he's so close. Well, maybe that's why he won $237,000 last week. <laughs> for two weeks ago. All right, I'd be, re- I'd be remiss. Two-part question if we didn't bring up Bryson. Um, do you think what Bryson's doing to, on, his tra- on the training side and, and the distance is sustainable without injury? And then what's the wave of golf in the future with the Bryson effect now? Well, I mean, I, I think we're, we're kind of on the cusp of seeing it, right? I mean, if you look at the Corn Ferry Tour, we've got several guys there that are, are faster than Bryson, 194, 195 speed. I mean, Bryson's now, with the long drive stuff, he's the fastest for sure. But there, there's a whole crop of younger players that are swinging above 190 miles an hour. And uh, it's, it's really because of that effect. You know, Bryson did something, allowed him to do, which was COVID happened. Everything was shut down and he went to work at the gym and just was like, let's do it. Let's build a bigger body, a faster engine, and let's see how fast we can make this thing go. And then he went and studied Kyle Berkshire, the world long drive champion, and became buddies with him. And now even like this offseason, he's going to world long drive camp and world long drive tour. So he is figuring out, can I move this club faster and faster and faster? What's the threshold with the length of driver if they reduce it to 46? And what could I compete at? So, you know, he, he, he rarely breaks 200 miles an hour on a launch monitor at a PJ Tour event. He's usually, you know, the fastest I've seen, maybe 195, 196. But, you know, long drive, he's breaking 200. I think he swung one at 217 now, arguably with a 48-inch driver. But if you come down to a 46-inch driver, he can probably break 200 now. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him come out on tour. And, and be able to sustain 200 miles an hour plus, which it's such a big advantage. I mean, it is a huge advantage to be long. So he has changed the playing field. You know, Rory's fast. He's never going to do Bryson type stuff. He's plenty fast. But, it, you know, it used to be that if you could crack 170 miles an hour, or well, 167 used to be tour average ball speed. Right now it's 172. And you could easily see in the next five years that going to 175, 176. You know, you got the John Roms at 180. And then you got this group of crop. There's, there's a group of guys in the low 180s, the Tony Finals, the, 
you know, the, the Roy McElroy's, and then you got Bryce, right? But there are some younger guys coming out that are above 190. So that's the first part of your question. It's changed the game. It's, it's changed it, I think, in a good way because eyeballs are coming to the game. I, I think reducing the flight of the girl. Nobody wants to see a guy hit a 275. What's the fun in that? Nobody wants to see that. They want to see these guys go through. If you want to curb it, you need to look at agronomy. You need to look at growing the rough really long from 100 yards in. So if you want to bomb it, but you miss the fairway, you're not going to be able to hit the green anymore. Right? That's what they should be doing. They should be looking at agronomy, not lengthening courses. That, that's wrong. Don't do that. And then if you want to reduce distance, reduce the tee height. Take the tee height down to a maximum of two inches. Because now you can't tee it like this, launch it high with less spin. So put the tee at two inches, and all of a sudden, Bryson's going to be hitting down on it at 200 miles an hour with spin, and he's probably going to hit it as far as JT at 185 with perfect launch, right? So so that, that, that's just my run of it. Do I think he could get injured? He's got a great team around him. He's young. You can get injured doing anything. We can put our socks on in the morning and get injured, right? So as long as you have the right team and as long as he's giving himself the time to recover, and that is probably the next big thing, one of the next big things in sports, is we really now look at recovery. You have to shut it down. You have to get sleep so your brain can rejuvenate, your body can rejuvenate. And, and recovery is everything. Amazing. Love it. All right. We ready for a little rapid fire? I think I'm ready rapid. for your, your rapid fire questions. Let's do a little rapid fire questions. Are you ready, Dave? I'm ready. Let's go. All right. Here we go. Uh, unfor Sheridan's unforked rapid fire questions coming at you. All right. Here we go. The best or most impressive player you've worked with or screened? Uh, the most impressive screen was Adam okay. Scott. That. The most impressive player is John Rahm. His strike is incredible. Best short game you've seen on tour? Best short game on tour. That, that's a hard one to pick one guy, but I'll have to say Phil Mickelson. Other than Tiger, you got to have somebody put a 10-footer to win a tournament. Who do you got? Jordan Speed. Well done. All right. Favorite golf course in the world? St. Andrews. <laughs> a shocker. Shocker, right? <laughs> okay. If you had to pick your dream foursome, who do you got? George Pratt. Yeah. Oh, yeah, right. cheer up, George. Look yeah. at him. He's falling yeah. asleep over here. Come on, Gramps. <laughs> of course. He's a legend. Are you kidding me? It's got to be George Pratt. I would love to play golf with George Pratt. I would love, I, I would love to play, a, have played golf with Seve Ballesteros. Wow. I think it would just be amazing. I would love to play golf. I've played golf with Ben Hogan. Um, but, you know, guys that are here today, George Brett, my dad, and uh, Phil. I love, I love playing with Phil. It's so much. It's so entertaining. Give, you know, give us one thing that you've learned from Phil that helps, that you say you've learned, you've learned from your students, one thing that Phil teaches you. I think Phil is the best at reading the lie around the golf ball of anybody I've ever seen. He can tell you what the ball is going to do based on the way the grass is around the ball when it hits the green. I don't know anybody that can do that. So when, when you're, you miss it to the right of the green and it's in a clump of rough and, you know, and this happened to me, I walk up, he's my partner and I'm about to hit this shot and there's something on the line. He goes, what, what are you going to do? I go, well, here's what I'm going to do. He goes, no, that won't work. 
And I'm like, what do you mean it won't work? He goes, well, if you do that, the way the grass is lying, you're going to hit it high on the face. It's going to come up short and it's never going to take that slope and you won't get it to the green. So go ahead, hit your shot. And then we'll hit them all. We're we're partners here. So no. So then he tells me what to do and I do and it comes off perfectly. He goes, now hit your shot. And sure enough, it came off exactly as he said it would. Amazing. He is that intuitive. He is amazingly good around the greens. It's, it's, there's things he can do that I don't think anybody can do. There are great short games. We can go back to Seve. I think John Rahm's got an amazing short game, amazing what John can do and his creativity. But still today, if you were going to spend time with anybody around the green, you would want Phil on your wall. Love it. All right, two more. One tiger story for us. Well, the, the only tiger story I think that goes way back to, to actually uh, Orlando is I, I got the opportunity. Scotty Cameron got asked to put a putting grinding machine in Tiger's house because Tiger, this was back in, had to be 98 or maybe 2000. Tiger wanted to, to, to work on some clubs to take some edges off. So he convinced Scotty to put this massive machine in his garage, this grinding wheel. We put this thing in and plugged it in and you could hear this thing and sparks were flying off. And I'm looking at Scotty and I'm going, I think this might be the dumbest mistake we've ever done. I go, can you imagine if Tiger slips with his putter? freaking hand off, right? Like this machine was masked. So there was that. And then he was on the driving range at Alworth hitting golf balls. And I got to go out and watch. I was sitting in a cart at the other side of the green. And I see this guy on the end of the range hitting golf balls. He's wearing shorts and a blue shirt. And he's hitting wedges. And he takes a wedge and he hits the wedge about 120 yards. And he sprints full speed out to the golf ball, picks it up, sprints back to the tee, puts the golf ball down, takes three big breaths and hits the most perfect shot again and did it again and again and again. He was trying to raise his heart rate up as much as he could and then get it down before he hit the shot because that's what he was going to need under pressure. That's so awesome. Wow. That's so awesome. How old? So you said 98. So he was, he was a pro. Oh yeah. He he had one, you know, he turned pro in 97. He was, this was somewhere around there. It was between 98 and 2001. I can't remember the time, but, but uh, I I saw it with my own eyes. And to this day, I still have the utmost respect for the guy because I think he works harder and worked harder than anybody else. And I think it's sad, you know, where he's at right now. And I, I hope for the good of the game that we get to see him swing our golf club again in the not too distant future. You know, he would have showed me something, Dave, if he would have ran out and caught it before it hit the ground. <laughs> that's what I was thinking, <laughs> like a putt. I thought that's what you were going to say. He hit it 120 yards, ran, and he caught it. I'm going, that's bullshit. I ain't buying that one. <laughs> all, right, all right, final final question. In 20 years, you want to be remembered for blank. Wow, that's a good one. Going deep. You know what? I I would want to be remembered as a person that was passionate about golf and about life. And and that, uh, you know, you got to live every day. You got got to do something that you enjoy every day. Don't get stuck in a rut. Don't do things you don't like to do. That's why I love being around George, because every time I ever call George or talk to George, and I don't know what goes on in his life, but he's always happy. And he always sounds energized and he energizes me. And so, you know, you got to live every day. And I'd like to be known as the guy that, that changed the game by bringing golf fitness to, to a reality. So love it. Love it. Job well done, David. Thanks, buddy. <laughs>
Thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate it. All right, Dave. And don't be a stranger. Okay. I'm going to come to Kansas City. We're going to go all play. All four of you. You, you got it. Done. You, you got I mean, it. You, you, you would play with a 12 handicap? I mean. Well, I don't know. We might have to. We might have I mean, to. can you, you know, analyze this? It gets <laughs> yeah. a little loose, you know? It's like, tell, it's like disco dancing. Tell them, to get, tell them to get in the gym. Tell them assess. Tell them assess. Don't guess. Yeah, you got to come to Kansas City and check out the golf table here. It's pretty awesome. We're right now in a vault. This is a bank vault. The door. You can't even move the door. The door must weigh eight tons, and it's open. We got. We're gonna have wine lockers, booze lockers back here. We got refrigerator full of beers. He's got three hitting bays out there. A huge. Uh, a huge workout facility. There's it's no, unbelievable. There's no beers left because George drank them all. No. We're about to get into those. All right. All right, Thanks Dave. so much, Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate it. Guys, appreciate I hope it. you enjoyed Dave Phillips uh, from MyTPI.com. Uh, tons of great instructions and uh, hell of a guy. I'm a big fan now. So, hey, come on back. we got another great program coming up immediately after with Frenchie from the hopefully, Atlanta Braves. Hopefully he's still around. Yeah. All right. We'll see you Thanks, next Dave. time. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate Bye. it.